0: This is the Lost Mission Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. My name is Don Van Zandt, and this is the Lost Mission Podcast, where our goal is to help us as believers to get back to our mission of knowing and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us. Um, Guys, I'm glad you are back here today. This is our new series on prayer. Um, In this series, we are going to focus on prayer, but specifically on the Lord's Prayer. We're going to talk about what it is. We're going to talk about what it isn't. uh, And hopefully, we're going to learn to follow Jesus' commands on how to pray as we learn to grow deeper in our walk with God through prayer. I trust that is your desire as you are listening to this podcast or watching video. Look, guys, I'm certain that if you're anything like me, you really want to grow deeper in prayer. So today we're going to begin our discussion on the Lord's Prayer. We're going to jump right into the text and see what Jesus had to say on prayer from the book of Matthew, chapter 6. All right. But before we get into the prayer, I think we would do well to kind of just take a step back and sort of examine some of the things that Christ had to say concerning prayer um, and sort of the attitude toward prayer and really What happens is in the beginning of this chapter, Christ opens up with a pretty powerful, um, would you say it maybe that it's a warning? Yeah, I think we could say that it's a warning. But he says in Matthew chapter six and the very first verse, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your father who is in heaven. All right, so Christ is giving this warning here not to practice righteous deeds or of doing alms um, in order to be seen by men. He doesn't want us to do things, even good things, so that men will see what we're doing. He's warning them against this false sense of righteousness, all right, this sort of righteousness that seeks the approval of men. And if you're a Christian, you've seen this before. You have seen people do good deeds, do good things, do the right things but for the complete wrong reason and for the wrong motivation. And that's what Christ is actually trying to warn against here in this beginning verse of the chapter. He's warning against doing the right thing, but doing it for sort of the wrong reason, right? So what he does, he actually speaks very poorly of doing the right things for the wrong reasons. Notice what he's doing. He's not giving a cop-out for not doing righteous deeds. All right, he's not giving some some reason. Well, I don't want to be a hypocrite, so I'm just not going to do right things. All right? Um, no, he doesn't call lazy Christians. God doesn't expect people to be lazy. He expects righteousness, um, and he expects righteous deeds from his people. Right? Okay. So, matter of fact, uh, back in the earlier chapter, when Jesus is speaking about the Pharisees, he actually tells them, um, chapter five and verse twenty. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses, right, uh, that of the scribes and of the Pharisees, um, then you're not going to enter into the kingdom of heaven, all right? Let me just turn over and read that. I'll read this first in the King James. I know I have a lot of King James only uh, friends that are out there. So I'll read it to you in the King James, and then we may read it in another verse as well. Um, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. You shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. So he is letting them know that righteousness is expected from Christ by the believer. The idea is not to do righteous deeds for some pious or lofty reason, right? But it is also not a dismissal for doing righteous deeds. Christ expects righteousness from his people, right? That's why he says this, Um, you know, beware of practicing righteousness. He wants it to be practiced. But don't do it before men. That's kind of the the idea. That's what he's trying to say. But what he does then is he goes on and he gives two warnings on how not to pray. And that's what we're going to talk about here today is the wrong way to pray. He tells them how not to pray. He tells them first, do not pray like the hypocrites. This seems pretty elementary, you know, almost universally accepted that people just don't like hypocrites. I don't know of anybody that I've ever met that just, man, they want to spend all their time around somebody that they uh, view as, as a hypocrite. And you know what? Uh, Jesus didn't want to spend his time around people like that. Um, he says in verse 5, When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, uh, to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. And he says, truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. <laughs> All right? He's talking about these Pharisees, these, these Jews, that when they would pray, um, when, when, I, uh, when the sound would be made, I believe it was a trumpet sound that would go forward at various times throughout the day, and there would be a call to prayer. Well, these people loved to pray, um, but they loved it whenever they, they would, it would just so catch them at an inopportune moment, and they would just have to pray out in front of everybody, and, oh, I just I just can't believe this, you know. That was sort of the approach. Um, and Jesus calls them hypocrites. And it's interesting that he uses that word hypocrites there. Now, hypocrites are—the <laughs> idea of hypocrisy is something that you and I are very familiar with. But it has really its roots back into Greek theater and into Greek culture and, and even a little bit into Greek mythology— Um, When he says the word hypocrite, it comes from a Greek word, um, hypocrites, if I'm saying that right, um, which literally means to pretend or to play a part. So the illusion here is one of an actor in a Greek play, um, someone that would wear a mask while on stage to conceal their true identity. Now, I'm sure that you watching this video have likely seen the ancient Greek style mask and how that they would be Sort of very large and um, very expressive. They, they would over-sort um, of accentuate the facial features of the actor in the play. And they did this um, for, for a reason. All right, so here's a few thoughts on uh, Greek theater and, and, and on mass. So when they would gather in the theaters, theaters were not unlike theaters are today. You know, they would be front-facing on both sides. The, the stage would face the front of the audience. The audience would face the front of the stage. Um, crowds couldn't see the backs of the actors. They could only see the front. Uh, But the masks, like I said, were designed to only cover the face. They would leave the back of the head exposed. And this allowed both actors and audience to only see the portion of themselves they needed to see in order to make a good performance. Uh, Masks often exaggerated. um, They used these sort of exaggerated features. And it seemed as the more uh, sort of satirical the play was that the actor was performing in. Then the more exaggerated the features of the mask would be. Uh, masks were often used in connection with the Greek god Dionysus, uh, who was the god of wine and also of theater. But the idea with Dionysus was that um, the more drunk he would, one would become on wine, the more their appearance would change. And so the more one would become more involved with the theater, the more their appearance. Um, would change, right? Um, So when Jesus is telling these people here, don't pray as the hypocrites, he's telling them don't act like an actor in a play where you put a mask on. There's even some ties back to um, sort of pagan culture. Don't pray as the hypocrites. The Jews that would pray, he's telling them don't pray this way. Uh, Don't put a mask on. Don't be false in the way that you pray. Um, He's referring back to the Jews, and the way they would pray in the synagogues. he. Now, now I do want to say this, though. Christ is not prohibiting public prayer. Public prayer is and can be a good thing. I have prayed in public many times. I'm sure that you as a viewer have prayed in public before. So he's not prohibiting public prayer, right? Um, he, he's also um, not prohibiting really any posture in prayer. You know, Um when he talks about them standing in the synagogues, he's not saying it's wrong of them to stand when they pray. Um, because, matter of fact, in the book of Mark, he's actually going to reference standing in prayer. Uh, chapter 11, verse 25. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, your Father who is in heaven will also forgive your transgressions. So, the idea isn't to tell them a certain posture in which they should pray. You know, in the Bible, people pray prostrate. Um, there's many verses and scriptures that we see of people laying flat. People kneel in prayer. People sit when they pray. Uh, people stand, you know, just like the verse that we just mentioned. Um, like I said, he wasn't prohibiting any sort of place of prayer. Public prayer was fine uh, multiple times. You read in the book of Acts um, over and again, there are instances of public prayer that occur. Probably the most um, familiar being in the book of Acts, chapter 2 when the disciples in the 120 were gathered in the upper room at Pentecost. And then later, those hear them praying out in the streets. The multitudes that are there, the people that are there, they hear them praying. So, so the idea isn't don't pray in public. The idea is to um, don't pray in public so that you'll be seen by other people, right? There is a difference there. Now, look, I will just say this. Um, public prayer is something that I think it just naturally makes us nervous I know it does for me. It makes me feel a bit uncomfortable. I've honestly had many times where I've had people come to me and share an issue in their life and they have asked me, hey, will you just put your hands on me and pray for me right here and now it's in a public setting? I've refused every time. I have always said, I'm sorry, but I'm just not going to do that right now. I'll I'll pray for you later, but I'm not going to pray in public. I'm not telling you not to. It's just something personally that, uh, that I don't do, right? so but later in verse six jesus does give specific instructions on on how they should pray he tells them to go into their inner room or into their closet and to pray and when when they are there they're to pray in secret and their father that sees them praying in secret is going to reward openly (laughs) it's it's this idea that goes back um, for, for us as 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 protestants that we refer back into the reformation that martin luther um he would use the latin term corum deo that basically the presence of god is everywhere that we as humans live in the presence of god we are always before god and as christians that's how we are we we feel as though we are in this corum deo we live before the presence of god he's everywhere right he is omniscient um but So the reason why we pray in secret isn't because God can only hear us when we pray secretly. No, we pray in secret, and God answers us openly. The reason he does this, though, is to make sure that the glory is all his own. God wants to receive the glory from our prayers. And if prayer was a public spectacle, and every time we needed to pray, we had to go and just sound a trumpet for us before us and make it look as though we were really putting on some sort of a show— uh, it would be very hypocritical. We would be putting on a play. God would not be receiving the glory. So he tells them, don't pray as the hypocrite. So number one, don't pray like a hypocrite. <laughs> but number two, he tells them, don't pray like a pagan. I'll just say, I think this one hits a little bit harder on a very much more real scale than the, the former does. Most people are put off by the idea of public... Uh, self-righteous prayer. Most people, not all, but most. But he tells them, don't pray like the pagans. Matthew chapter six, verse seven, when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So he he takes a moment, takes the focus away from these pious, hypocritical, self-righteous prayers of the Pharisees and of the Jews. Turns his attention to the non-Jews. The sort of less cultured religiously in the ways of the uh, the Jewish religion anyhow. He talks about the Gentiles, these pagans. He tells them, don't pray like the Gentiles. Don't pray like the pagans. Um, matter of fact, uh, when he uses this word repetition, uh, it comes from another Greek word, uh, Batalago, and I'm probably not doing these Greek words justice today, so I apologize, guys. Um, but but this word Batalago or Batalageo uh, means to use many words, to prattle, to speak much, to babble, uh, to utter meaningless sounds, or to speak incoherently. <laughs> and then, remember now, Jesus is talking about prayer here. That's his. That's his point is he's referring to prayer and he tells them, don't use meaningless repetitions when you pray. There really is sort of a callback to um, the the prophets of Baal and their prayer in the book of 1 Kings, I think it's chapter 18, when they cry out all day long, "'Oh, Baal, hear us! Oh, Baal, hear us! Oh, Baal, hear us!' And, and the prophet just kind of begins to laugh and to mock, you know. He said, well, maybe he's asleep, you know, cry aloud. And they, they holler out a little bit louder. And eventually they begin to jump up and down on the altar and to cut themselves. And they're just repeating this prayer over and over and over again. Um, so if anybody should have been heard based on performance value, Right? on just praying and praying and praying and repeating and and chanting and saying the same things over and over and over again, really, I feel like the the prophets of Baal, they win um, in this, in this contest of prayer. But you know, in reality, that wasn't the case because when Elisha goes and, and repairs the altar and prays his prayer, I believe it's a 63 word prayer that he prays. Well, God answers and he consumes the sacrifice by fire. He didn't need a lot of words. He didn't need to say a lot of things. He just needed to be in connection with God. So honestly, here's the thing. I see more danger of pagan prayers in the church today than I do of these hypocritical prayers, right? Um, And let me just add this as a note. This type of prayer can exist either through the idea of liturgy or through extemporaneous prayer, right? Um, Whether we just repeat a rote prayer over and over and over again, like the Lord's Prayer, we just repeat it and repeat it and repeat it and think that if we say it enough times that God will hear it. Or it can be through this idea of, of, of I don't have a plan when I pray. I don't know what I'm going to say. I'm just going to repeat myself over and over and over and over again and hope that somehow, way, God is going to hear my prayer. All right. So what about repetition? All right. Christ tells them um, don't use meaningless rep- repetition. But what about repetition? Are repeated prayers wrong? I think that that really becomes the question. Is it wrong of us to pray the same thing over and again? Okay, so repetition. Repetition of itself in prayer is perfectly fine, right? We should pray over and over and over again. Scripture actually affirms this idea of repeating our prayers. You say, well, hold on. You just read here from the book of Matthew um, where Jesus said, two, when you pray, do not use meaningless repetition. Now you're saying scripture affirms repetition. Right. (laughs) I did say that, but what, what, how am I not sort of speaking out both sides of my mouth? I'll tell you. All right. So scripture affirms this idea of repetition. Jesus prays multiple times. Remember in the garden, uh, he goes and he prays, I believe three times. Um, the disciples, they pray multiple times. Uh, Paul, When he's praying about his thorn in the flesh, he prays, I believe, three times. So so repetition in prayer is perfectly fine and even in some ways, I think, does us well to seek God again and again and again concerning our uh, uh, petitions. But when it becomes wrong is when we try and use prayer as a sort of magic formula or as magic words. Therein lies the issue. Let me tell you what I'm, what I'm talking about. So when how, how do we pray that our prayers become meaningless repetition? Just by way of mention, um, just saying the name of Jesus over and over and over again may not be the most ideal way of praying. I've heard it likely you have heard it where where somebody would be praying and they would just be almost chanting and saying the name of Jesus over and over oh Jesus 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 um I would not recommend that as a viable option or method of prayer um another one <laughs> and 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 this this one it is what it is um, and I, I want to I make this statement, preface this statement by saying, I say this, I want to say this with as much grace and love as I can toward anybody who does engage in this practice, you know, because it's a pretty popular practice and I've seen it done my entire life. I have personally done it myself, but I don't find it to be a biblical mode of prayer. All right. So I'm going to get a drink of coffee and then we're going to talk about it. All right, the second mode of prayer that can turn into to meaningless repetition is this idea of pleading the blood, right? So I, will, I know a lot of people that do it. Like I said, I have done it before. But here's the thing. Um, before I tell you just not to do it, and before you get upset at me, <laughs> before you get upset at me for saying, well, that guy just told me not, not to plead the blood, and, and grandma played uh, pled the blood, and I have pled the blood, and everybody I know pleads the blood, well, he just must be wrong. Let me ask you this question. What does scripture have to say about pleading the blood? Right. What does it have to say on the issue, specifically pleading the blood as a form of prayer? I know there are Old Testament passages about, you know, putting the blood on the the doorpost and the sides of the door and the death angel would pass over. I know there are passages in, in Revelation that say that they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony the point here is not whether the blood is effective or or is efficacious in our lives. That's not the point that I'm raising. I absolutely believe in the power of the blood of Jesus Christ and the atoning sacrifice. That's not the point. The point here is to use the, the blood of Jesus to... To, to assume as though there are some sort of form of prayer, almost magic words, that I can plead the blood over my finances and that I'll be okay. I can plead the blood over my lost child and that they will be saved. I can plead the blood over a person that is sick and they will be healed. I just want to challenge you and ask you as, as a person that is listening to the podcast or that is watching this video, um, is that a biblical mode of prayer, right? I want us to pray biblically. And honestly, this practice seems to be outside of this scope of proper prayer. All right. So if you disagree with me, then, then let me know in the comments section of the video, um, it, what what your thoughts are on pleading the blood? I'd love to hear from you guys. I know some of you will disagree, some of you will agree. Uh, but I'd love to hear from you. Put drop a comment. Let me know. Am I right? Am I wrong? And uh, let's let's see where we're at. Personally, there's where I stand on the issue. But do I think it's something we should divide over? No. I just don't think it is the most effective, and and uh, biblical form of prayer. Right. Okay, so these are things that are a problem when they cause us to believe God will hear us for our many words, right? When we just believe that there's some magic formula that we can speak, that we can pray, and God will hear us. I mean, matter of fact, later on in the epistles, there's reference to um, that we would pray and God wouldn't hear us. Um, we ask and we have not uh, because we ask amiss that we may consume it upon our own lusts. And look, we don't want to pray in such a way that is a selfish way or a wrong method of prayer. We want to pray the right way. All right? Uh, uh, other other sort of uh, prayers that I've heard before um, that just seem as though they, they missed the point after a while or the Father God prayers, right? You know, Father God, we just thank you, Father God, for your goodness to us, Father God, and we just pray, Father God, you would go with us today, Father God. <laughs> you know, <laughs> why? we get it. God knows you don't have to say father God after every sentence or with every comma, um, the supposed prayer of the just (laughs) where folks will pray, Lord, we just thank you today. And Jesus, we just pray you would help us and just bless us and just take care of us and just help us Lord. And okay, we get it. The prayer of the just. (laughs) Okay. So that's verse, uh, seven, verse eight says, so do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. All right, God already knows what we pray before what we are going to pray, before we have ever even said it. And he knows what our needs are before we actually bring our needs before him. He is omniscient, right? So we don't want to pray self-righteous prayers and we don't want to pray pagan prayers. But that begs the question, if that's if those two options are off the table. You know, well then then how do we pray? What how do we seek the face of God? And I love that Jesus goes right into the prayer in the very next verse. After this manner, therefore, pray ye our Father which art in heaven. The our Father, the opening words of the prayer are some of the most powerful words of the entire prayer. Father. Jesus begins this prayer by calling God Father. Now, to the Jews, if they would have heard this, this would have been a near foreign concept to them. It was just an idea that really in the Jewish culture and the Jewish mind, they were not accustomed to. Now, yes, the idea of God as Father did exist in the sort of the Old Testament, in Torah. They understood that, that God was referenced as father to them. But really, many times, um, when, when God is referred to in the fatherly way in the Old Testament, it's, it's used as sort of an analogy or in a very illustrative way. You know, for example, Psalm 103, uh, verse 13 uh, just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on on those who fear him, not necessarily directly referring to God as father, but the analogy of God as father exists there, right? And there's other references to God as father in the Old Testament, also in apocryphal writings. There are a few, I believe in the wisdom of Solomon, there is a reference to God as father. Uh, but really, Christ seems to be a trailblazer for this view, this this this, this concept, this idea um, to refer to God as his father. And what happens here in this passage, you have this young Jewish man, this young Jewish teacher, this rabbi that is going to revolutionize later on in the future, the idea of referring to God in prayer as father. It just wasn't commonplace at the time, but Jesus does it. Uh, To make God his father would then be for Christ to view himself as God's son and for his followers to be heirs as well. And Scripture affirms that idea. Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, uh, so that we may also be glorified with him. So the idea is this, to pray our Father, is not to is not only to acknowledge that Christ is indeed the Son of God, but it is to acknowledge our own adoption into the family of God. God is our Father. It does another thing as well. It brings with it this sort of sense of community. As a Christian, we love the idea of God being Christ's Father, right? As Christians, we love the idea of God being our father. I'm thankful that I'm accepted. But the other thing about it is for all believers everywhere, he is their father. He is our father. It brings with it a sort of sense of community. Since God is our father, he is all our father. He is the father of all believers, regardless of race, of gender of of wealth of status of popularity of denomination or for any other reason if a person is a child of God then we are all children of God and he is all our father we are our father's children and look look that is the beauty of this this entering into this prayer with Jesus and understanding who he is there is this element of acceptance that we have been adopted into the family of God. And Christ wants us to understand that. So when we come to God in prayer, there's this idea that we are approaching God as our father, right? Not just father, but our father, all of our father. He's not some distant deity. He's not somewhere afar off. He hears us. But he's not just our father. He is our Father, which art in heaven. So if the our Father is intended to cause us to feel close to God, then the phrase, which art in heaven, should serve to remind us of how holy He is. If when we pray our Father, we say, or we begin to understand the close connection, and the intimate uh, connection that we have with God, then when we pray which art in heaven or who art in heaven, who is in heaven, then we begin to understand there's still an element of respect and an element of holiness that exists with God, right? Uh, Let me share with you a quote from Arthur Pink. If that tells us, speaking of the Father, if that tells us of God's goodness and grace, this, the which are in heaven, speaks of his greatness and his majesty. So we should always remember that just as much as God is our Father, he is in heaven. So we should treat him and his name as holy, right? Wasn't that in one of the Ten Commandments? You know, um, that we are not to take the name of the Lord in vain. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Well, his, the holiness of his name is on display in this passage. Our Father, which art in heaven, right? So we should treat him and his name as holy. His presence is not to be entered into lightly or into in some sort of flippant way, and that's why, honestly, um, there are ways of addressing God that I feel like are just completely disrespectful. Right? There is no reason for a person to call Dad or call God Daddy God. <laughs> you say, "Oh wait, but Abba means Daddy." I get it. <laughs> I get it. But you and I know in a modern context that that is a disrespectful approach to God. Um, That we shouldn't refer to God as the man upstairs, right? Um, And I I, I have done the same thing. But God is a holy God, right? Uh, So whatever pseudonym we want to ascribe to him, we need to understand that he is in heaven. He is holy. Uh, He is our Father, but he is our Father in heaven. So then... This whole introduction to prayer serves as a doorway into the rest of the prayer. When we acknowledge that God is our Father, He is intimate and personal with us. He is also in heaven. He is to be revered, respected, and worshipped. He is also powerful and able to fulfill all our requests. When we really understand this, Then we can begin to pray the rest of the prayer. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So the point here is this today. Again, we all want to pray. If you're a Christian, undoubtedly you want to pray. But we want to pray right. We want to pray and seek God in the right way. We don't want prayer to become an outward show. Look at me. Look how holy I am. We don't want that. We don't want prayer to become pagan in its in its function. We don't want to pray to our God the same way that the Hindus pray to their gods. We don't want to pray to our God the same way that um, the followers of Muhammad and Islamics pray to their God. We don't want to pray like pagans. We want to pray to We don't want to pray in a mystical fashion. We want to pray. God. We want to pray to our Father who art in heaven. There's, There's ways to pray, guys. There's right ways to pray, and there are wrong ways to pray. And I want to encourage us here today to pray to God, but to pray to Him in the right way. So guys, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. But you know what? Until next time, hope you guys have a great week. I'm praying for you, and I will catch you next time.